the number one indicator of successful organizations is trusted leadership. And it doesn't seem to matter how we measure success or how we define success, rather. So in the academic world, right, if we look at uh, student achievement levels in the schools where we have the highest levels of student achievement, we have a direct correlation to the highest levels of trusted leadership of the school. When we look at retention rates of employees, right, and this is across the board, education sector, corporate sector, manufacturing, the number one indicator of the highest levels of retention trusted employers. Welcome to another episode of the Leading to Fulfillment podcast, where everything we talk about is meant to encourage people-first leaders, empower individuals to achieve fulfillment, and to help your organizations become places people love to work. I'm your host, James Laws, and I have a terrific show in store for you. My guest this episode is Dr. Toby Travis. Dr. Travis is the founder of the Trust Ed, a framework for business organization and school improvement focused on developing trusted leaders. In addition, he's an executive consultant with the Global School Consulting Group, an adjunct professor for the International Graduate Program of Educators for the State University of New York College at Buffalo, and an experienced teacher and school administrator currently serving as the superintendent of the Village Christian Academy in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Dr. Travis is also the author of the award-winning book, Trust Ed, The Bridge to School Improvement. In my conversation with Dr. Travis, we discuss the role and impact of trusted leaders within an organization, how we assess our current leaders to determine their trust level, how to develop trust and trusted leaders in your organization, uh, Dr. Travis's trusted framework, and the people-first model of organizational health. We cover a lot. But before we get into all of that, I want to invite you to subscribe to the Leading to Fulfillment podcast in your favorite podcast tool. We're on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or you can watch us over on YouTube. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Dr. Toby Travis. Dr. Travis, thank you so much for joining me on the Leading to Fulfillment podcast. Uh, thank you, James. Great to be here. I, I'm really, really excited about this conversation because one of the things that you talk about a lot seems to be kind of your operating thesis is on this idea and this concept of trust. And I coming from uh, my thesis of trying to help my team and help other businesses become places people want to work and love to work because they have people-first leaders who are focused on their fulfillment. Uh, I think there's uh, a, definitely a relationship between this idea of a trusted leader and a people-first leader. And so to kind of get us started just a little bit, I, I wonder, based on your experience in education, based on your research on the, the concept and the ideas of trust and your, that background, how do you approach this topic of fulfillment? Well, I'm, I'm kind of a data guy you know, and, and maybe even a bit of a data geek. I'm a big believer in um, let's, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the research. Let's make our decisions on what we invest in as far as professional development and organizational improvement uh, let's take a look at the numbers. And so you start looking at the data 
And what you find, and, and James, you know, my background and interest in this area really came out of working in a rather toxic environment and trying to figure, and then having the opportunity to be in leadership of that organization. It's like, okay, what do we do about this? And what I have learned through uh, sitting on the shoulders of giants who have done uh, research certainly before me, and then what was affirmed and confirmed in the work that I've done is we've discovered that the number one, and this is the research, the number one indicator of successful organizations is trusted leadership. And it doesn't seem to matter how we measure success or how we define success, rather. So in the academic world, right, if we look at uh, student achievement levels in the schools where we have the highest levels of student achievement, we have a direct correlation to the highest levels of trusted leadership of the school. When we look at retention rates of employees, right, and this is across the board, education sector, corporate sector, manufacturing, the number one indicator of the highest levels of retention, trusted employers. You know, we've seen the opposite as well for years. You know, the number one reason people leave an organization is they don't feel supported by their supervisor or their leader. And, and so we see the opposite effects as well. But again, back to the primary world that I work in, the education sector, we see student achievement levels. We see teacher re and student retention in the private sector. We see community involvement. How do you ensure higher levels of community engagement and support? focus on developing highly levels of trusted leaders. Um, financial bottom line. And here, you know, when we look at the small business model, where do we see businesses succeeding the best? It's in those businesses that understand the importance of that key relationship between the owner or the leader and the employees. And when they get that right, it's almost magic, James. It's like all these <laughs> other good things start happening. We see the highest levels of innovation happening when people are working in an environment, they feel like they're okay to make a mistake. My boss trusts me even if I blow it. Those people invest themselves deeper, and we see higher levels of innovation, creativity, uh, problem solving. All of those indicators go up remarkably. And one last piece of data, I'll throw it to just as kind of a wet your appetite kind of a thing. There was a study in 2018 on the return on investment when businesses invest in the development of trusted relationships between admin and employees. They actually came up with a dollar amount. It actually showed for every dollar a company spends on professional development of this type, there is a one to $7 return. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So the point <laughs> is businesses operate better. Uh, it costs less money to actually operate an organization where there's high levels of trust. You know, and what you say and, and listening to the numbers, you know, it sounds obvious to say, right, that oh, businesses yeah. and organizations with trusted leaders are going to do better than organizations without trusted leaders. And yet, and yet we see it on the news headlines and we see it all over the place that many organizations are being run by or have within their organizations leaders who lack, have lacked the trust of their teams. I think that honestly, I think this is a big reason for the great resignation, right? Yes. Is yep. what you're seeing is a bunch of people who say, we don't trust you anymore. Like yeah. we were in the middle of a financial, like individuals in a financial crisis and you're worried about whether or not we're in an office or not. And you're laying people off, even though businesses are hitting sometimes record numbers and just laying people off. 
the corporations and the leaders of these corporations have lost trust. And, and yeah, it seems like untrustworthy leaders still seem to get promoted inside of these corporations because of, I mean, I guess the bottom line of being able to make the margins make sense for the stakeholders. Yes. <laughs> and and yet what you will find though, Fortune 100 companies, they spend a lot of money on this, a yeah. lot of money. Uh, you may be aware, I mean, Forbes picked up about three different articles they've done in the last few months uh, that have featured my writing. And that's a really kind of a surprising, you know, for an academic, it's kind of like, what am I doing in Forbes? But this really <laughs> resonated apparently with their readership. Um, and, and what you find is, no, the biggest and the best and the brightest companies, actually, they spend a lot of time, money and investment on this. Yeah. Where, what you're looking at or what you're referring to is when you look at, well, look at this set, 70% of new businesses fail. 70% of new business initiatives fail. And in the education sector, 70% of school improvement initiatives fail. Interesting. That stat hangs and it hangs and it hangs. <laughs> so then you look at, okay, what's what's behind that? The the, the big why question, why, is it, why is the vast majority of new initiatives and businesses failing? It comes down to execution. All right. This is what we see. And then when you look deeper, well, what, what is it about the execution of these initiatives or businesses that fail? Guess what the number one indicator is? Trusted leadership. Right, yeah, right. It's just not there. And, you know, and it's just, boom, here we are again. But when you look at that 30% that are rocking it, that 30%, whether it's in the business sector, the corporate sector, the nonprofit sector, the education sector, those are the organizations, companies, and schools who are intentionally assessing their trust level, intentionally developing through coaching and professional development. And I mean, there's resources. They invest dollars into this to ensure that it's in place because, again, the return is real and tangible. And, and there's just a myriad of benefits that happen when we keep that the priority. James, my observation has been now being around this for years is there's this idea, well, either you're trusted or you're not. You know, yeah. we throw it into the soft skill uh, category and we just kind of hope people have get it. And nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, trust and the competencies and skill sets that support trust are accessible. They're trainable. Um, they're identifiable. We know how to fix this. And, and again, what I see in the organizations that intentionally address it they're seeing really amazing things happen, even in the midst of a world that's in crisis. Yeah. And you know, and you talked about we can't fix this. And I actually want to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, to the to the listener who's listening to everything that you're saying and says, you, I'm convinced, right? Like, I believe that what I, as a small business, as an organization, I have to invest in developing and creating a space for trusted leaders. How do we assess even our current leadership, and assess our trust levels? Well, there's a variety of ways to do that. So, and, and really, I recommend you, you use a variety of assessments. In education, we talk about the triangulation of data. And that means we want to be looking at multiple perspectives or data points to get a true picture of what's going on. So um, 
I've had the pleasure of being involved in developing uh, some assessment tools, and we can start there. In fact, I can share a link with your listeners for a, a free self-assessment. Now, it's not true data. It's a, like a reflection exercise. Sure. It'll introduce you to the kind of questions we should be asking. But then I can also provide you a link to a research-based, uh, evidence-based, validated, rather, um, 360 type tool where employees are surveyed about their leaders and we actually get data to drive that. There's also, you know, just informal assessments. There are indicators uh, that you can make uh, looking at our organizational structure, organizational practices. Uh, One example, when I work with a school or a client uh, company, one of the first things I do for them is what I call a document review. So I say, send me your employee handbook. And what I do is I go through that handbook and I look to identify any policies or structures, protocols that are based on distrust. And we and that will give us an assessment of what, what kind of a culture we're building. Because you know how it works, James. Somebody <laughs> in the organization blows it, right? They did something stupid. And so some administrator says, well, that's never going to happen again. So they make a policy. They try to fix it by policy. And really what they end up doing most times is they're penalizing everybody for the errors of a few or the one. And then yeah. this becomes part of the culture. And one of the first ways to assess okay, how many policies have we created? How many protocols do we have in place that are here because we don't trust our people? Well, if you have to have all of these um, policies for accountability or whatever in place, then you got to go back to look at an HR problem. Have we been hiring the right people, right? And the more you get those structures away, right, the more you extend trust, the more trust you get in return, you know, these, these are tools and methods for assessing the trust. Basically, basically, looking in the mirror, what are we doing that's based on trusting our employees or what's, what are we doing that's assuming we don't trust them? And uh, so there's both uh, kind of um, an informal way, but there's also statistical ways. There's some tools out there. Uh, Jim Collins has some tools available, you know, the good to great work. Uh, David Horsacker, the Trust Edge, uh, they've got some great resources available for especially the business and corporate world. Um, No, there's some, there are some research-based tools uh, that you can and should avail yourselves of and to invest in. But there's also just some good practice or reflective practice that'll get you a long ways down the road, as well as just asking your people. And and I think that's a really important thought too, right? You talk about there's a lot of ways we can do this with with really good data and getting good metrics, uh, good surveys, good uh, anonymous approaches, 360 where people can feel open it. But if you are somebody who's listening to this and you're like, I want to be a trusted leader, well, that's the first step. The second step is now be reflective and be, be, you know, be honest with yourself. And in your one-on-ones, ask yourself, what is my what is my direct report telling me and what are they not telling me? Because that may be an indication of whether there is trust issues because you know what you should be getting from your direct report. And right. if you're not getting that feedback, that may already be a, a, a sign that there's a lack of trust between you and your team. Right. And you've got to create a vehicle and an opportunity for them to do that. That also does not 
jeopardize, you know, their relationship with their supervisor. And that's, that's why a formal 360 tool is really great. You know, oh, yeah. because right, it's it's anonymous. It's a third party that's administering it. There's no way that the client business or school uh, can tie the data to a person, uh, and that's that's the and yet you get the numbers, and that's that's the real value of it. And and again, you really said it too. As far as you know, how do you start? It 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 starts with a willingness. You know, it's like, yeah. and that alone builds trust. You know, just. For me, uh, so I'm currently a school superintendent. For me to say to my employees, evaluate me. Yeah. Tell me how I'm doing. Just th- that invitation alone says, oh, I'm I'm going to trust this guy a little bit more because he's willing to take it and, and be open. So, you know, that, that's I used to do a this, key element. I, you know, many, a decade ago, I was uh, pastoring a church and I used to do that with my congregation. I gave them a form uh, that went into a series of data, into a spreadsheet, completely anonymous, scored me on various scales. Everyone took it and everyone was allowed to be as, as, as nice or as mean as they wanted to be in the comments. And it was really eye-opening. And, and you know, for that, I was assessing all kinds of things like, you know, how well do I communicate? But in that was some, some, some questions about like, do you trust, like, do you trust me? Do you believe that I have your best interests at heart? Do you believe that I have this congregation's best interests at heart? And so there were some questions that were kind of needling at that at least a little bit. Yes. And, and James, I I commend that, but I also would caution uh, you and your listeners, if if they're asking me, be careful with self-created assessments. Oh yeah. Um, And this is why, you know, it is far more complex than we may realize. For example, um, in schools, we know what the competencies, skill sets, and behaviors are of a school leader that results in high levels of trust. And, and we've got now decades of research behind that that shows us exactly what these individuals need to be doing. And so our 360 assessment, literally every question, there's 48 questions, every one of them is research-based, validated. We know what question to ask, right? right. And what happens when we, when, we, when we just kind of, you know, we try to hack these kind of surveys, we may not necessarily be getting very helpful data. And it may not actually be telling us what we think it's telling us. So I always caution folks, I realize you, you may not have spent money on this before. In the big scheme of things, it's a nominal dollar amount. Um, go with a professional survey. And the other thing we have here is you then have the ability to do some benchmarking, right? So these surveys, they're normed with other schools, other organizations. Right, you can look, right. okay, uh, because, yeah, we may be struggling in a certain area, but actually to realize, and so is everybody else on planet Earth, oh, okay, I'm not feeling too bad about myself. <laughs> you know, it gives you perspective where, and 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 also, yay, if we're excelling at something, uh, you can really commend yourself when you realize, ooh, uh, that is a uniqueness. We're doing great on this, and we can commend our leadership team. And um, so, again, my, my caution is be careful with self-assessment tools that, that we create ourselves without having somebody who has an expertise and, and a background to help you develop the survey you really want to be taking. And, uh, and I, then, think that's, you know, yeah. 
That's super solid advice. I think, you know, I I feel that way about most kind of self-evaluations in general. Even these, you know, you have things like Strength Finders and Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and all these things. And you know what the problem with all of those are is that I'm answering questions about me. And sometimes I don't know the difference between what I wish was true about me and what is actually true about me. I think every single one of these assessments, and I think all of these people who run these assessments would do better if they set up their assessments to say, send them to the three people who know you best. Send them to your best friend, your spouse, your business partner. Let them answer those questions on your behalf. And I think you'll find out who you really are, not who you think you are. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so what we'll do with a a client or a school is we'll have the leaders take us, they do the self-assessment exercise, right? They score themselves. And I tell them, okay, hang on to that scorecard. So (laughs) So with the the trusted framework, we have six components of trusted leadership, and it gives them a score from zero to 40 on each of these six components. So let's say they score themselves, you know, we're we're all in the, you know, high 20s, low 30s. And then we do a 360 in which their direct reports all basically answer the same questions. But this gives us that 360 data. And then we see what those component scores are. And I, I'll tell them, okay, now we're going to look at the trust perception gap. You know, look at your personal <laughs> scorecard, where you thought you were, where your team says you are. And here's here's the, the significance, James. When it comes to trust, perception is reality. Mm-hmm. So you may not like it as the leader you may, or the owner or the boss. You'd be like, oh, no. And you may have all kinds of rationales why you think they answer the questions the way they did. And you want to you wanna wish it away. But their perception is reality when we're talking about assessing trust. And yeah. that's what we've got to fix is their perception. No, I, I agree. It, you know, I say this a lot, like, unspoken expectations are just as much expectations as the written ones. Yeah. Uh, and so you're sometimes the job as a leader is creating clarity around what expectations are to hopefully uh, push away the unspoken and get them spoken right. as soon as possible so that we're all operating on the same understanding and moving forward. So I, I agree with that. I'd love to learn more about your uh, trust ed framework as far as because what we we've talked about, all right, trusted leaders are ultimately the main drivers of the success of business, right. regardless of what you determine your for that organization's success to be. We've determined that like people want to be you know want to become trusted. How to assess if you are? How do you now develop these trusted leaders? And I think your trusted framework is probably a good place to talk about how do we develop trusted leaders within our organizations? Well, we know that trust is very complex. This is not just a simple, easy, you know, fix. So you have to look at the totality of what's involved in creating trusted leadership. And we've been able to identify there are six um, kind of major uh, components is, is language that I use just to talk about it. But these are these are areas of, again, competency, skill sets, uh, even giftedness we could throw in there. And w- using the analogy of a bridge, uh, so that's the, the book is Trust Ed, the bridge to school improvement. Um, but it helps us talk about the uh, these these components because people are visual learners right so we'll talk about the foundation of trusted leadership 
is like the foundation of, of a bridge. You know, what the bridge sits on, what is the key element? What's the found? Well, in leadership, that's, that's beliefs and values. What do we believe about the organization? What do we believe about the role of leadership? What do we believe about the role and input of employees? Uh, in a school setting, what do we believe uh, about the role of parents and students? What are our core values as an organization or as a community? Are they known? Are they articulated? Are they well-defined? And as a leader, can I articulate them? You know, can, do I, I, I'm clear in knowing exactly what these are. Really, really critical. But then there's the substructure of a bridge. The substructure of a bridge is that portion that connects everything else to the foundation. Well, in leadership, the substructure is this idea of connecting and supporting everything we do to who we say we are and what we believe. And this, James, is the area where I see trust most frequently falls apart. You should have a leader who says, I believe this, we're about this, but then their practice what they're actually doing day to day with their employees does not connect or is not supported to whom they say they are. And, and that's where trust falls apart. And then we go on, we talk about the bearings of trust and a bridge. That's the part that moves. So here we're talking about being involved. Leaders have got to be involved and yet flexible. Uh, there's the girders of a bridge. These are the beams that go under the bridge. Well, this is all about those girders look different based on every bridge. What's your ability to contextualize, to adapt whatever uh, you're trying to do as a best practice of operations to this current setting? You know, the thing we've learned about best practice is it always must be contextualized. Yes, there are, there are practices, there are uh, uh, competencies that in most settings get these results but it still has to be contextualized to the people right there in front of you and to the setting and context. Trusted leaders do that. They're always adapting. They're always contextualizing to their people. Superstructure of the bridge, culture, relationship. It has to be intentional. Uh, you know, that old marketing line, if you don't tell your story, somebody else will. <laughs> and, and this is what trusted leaders do. They build intentional culture. Uh, the deck of the bridge, the sixth component, looks simple, right? It's a flat surface with a couple of lines on it. Uh, not so simple. Talk to uh, a structural engineer uh, that's uh, building a suspension bridge. There's a lot of science that goes into it. But in the end, it looks really clear. Well, trusted leaders do this. They take the complex, they make it very simple. This is what lane we're in. Hey, that's where we're going. And these are the markings to know that we're getting closer to uh, the other side of the bridge. Order, clarity. Um, and when those six elements are working together, whoo, you see high levels of trust. But any one of those is faulty or not in place. Well, you're not going to drive across a bridge like that, right? It's like, no, uh, if I see there's a gap in the middle of the road, I'm, I'm not going there. Well, this is what happens in, uh, in leadership as well. So we use that structure, that framework, to assess uh, those six components of trust. And then based on what the data shows us and the response that we get, uh, we then create uh, smart goals, action plans in order to address and ensure we have high levels of trust in all six components amongst the leadership of the school. And, and, and no one individual can do them all. It is about your leadership team. Always, always, always about, you know, how does our team do this well? But uh, that's, that's what the framework is, and that's basically how that uh, tool helps us figure out what next steps are 
with uh, organizational development. I, I love it. I was I was writing these down as you were talking through them, and and as I'm reading through them, like these are all like, extremely solid. I recently wrote an article of how to build trust uh, in the culture of your business, and. At the core, you know, my list was 10, but they probably fell into these six categories, right? Ultimately, they yep. fall in these categories. And yep. you're right, practice, right? This, this, this ability to show up and do the thing you said you were going to do, do the thing. And you're not going to do that 100% of the time. It's not about being perfect. I often right. say, I often fail at my very own values, the things that are important to me. I often fail at those things. Most people do. But it's what you do in the midst of that failure. Oh, it's the transparency right. and the honesty. Right. It's the oh. ability to say I'm sorry and to acknowledge that you missed yes. you missed it is a part of that practice of showing up. And and again, I, I love every bit of this framework is, is great. I work in a Christian school, James, and I've often said to my staff, what makes us uniquely you know, when we're identified as Christian Academy, what makes us Christian is how we go through our failures together. Because to your point, right, we all blow it. We all make mistakes. Um, what makes us a community is how do we choose to go through that together? Are we going to beat each other up or we're going to say, oh, yeah, blew it. Let's, what can we do to address that? How can we get better next time? Where do you need greater levels of support or accountability or whatever it may be? Um, it is about how we go through the journey together. We are all failed and frail human beings. Um, it's, it is that element of living in community where we see the best results because we can't do this alone. We, we all have our challenges. We all have our issues. Uh, but when we do life together, and this is what we see in the best organizations, people love working there. Right. When I walk into a highly trusted environment, it is so easy to tell because people are like, oh, yeah, no, I suppose they could pay me more, but I'd, I'd still come. You know, it, it's not about the money. It's, it's not about the benefits package. It's I love working with these people. And that's what you want. And, you know, it's funny, we do uh, an ENPS assessment on a regular basis within our organization. And the basic question is, is how likely would you be to invite someone close to you into work for our organization right. and work with right. us? And in, in that, they get to assess a few things and leave their comments. And one of my, and I'm not, I'm not bragging about my companies, but one of my favorite things that I, we get out of that assessment is that. They love the leadership and they love the people, their peers, the people they work side by side. And what it speaks to, talking about it, it speaks to what they're ultimately saying is, I trust yes. that the person side, the next to me yeah. has my back. I right. trust that when I fail, I will not be mocked, but I will be instructed <laughs> and taught and we will learn together. It, it, it shows that they trust leadership to make decisions on the best interest of the team, not just the best interest of the leaders. You know, our yeah. first core value is people first, and that goes employee, customer, stakeholders in that order because we know if we take care of the employee, the employee will take care of the customer. And if the employee right. takes care of the customer, the customers will make sure that the stakeholders have a thriving business. So uh, I love every piece of that. It's just, it's really powerful. And it, I, I, it confirms a lot of what we're seeing as we're focusing on how do we help our team members find fulfillment. And actually, even in your bridge framework, I see my fulfillment model in that. And my one of the questions we ask our team members all the time 
in our quarterly reviews is we say, we ask them to kind of personally assess, do I love the work that I do? Do I believe the work I do matters? And can I see the progress my work is having? And ultimately, I think if my team can say yes to all of those questions, then I'm doing my job, my trustworthy job of fashioning and shaping a role that is perfect for each team member uh, in, within the organization. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. You know, where I see in school management, we're often well-intended school administrators just find themselves in really toxic environment is where they say, here's the classic one is, you know, they, they want to be student first, right? Sounds great. Sounds noble. (laughs) Well, if we're talking about instructional practices, absolutely. We need to be teaching kids for their future, not our past. And learning has to be engaging. It has, you know, so yeah, student first, when we're talking about instructional pedagogy or or instructional methods, but we're talking about organizational management in a school setting. If the administrator is putting the needs of, or the wishes or wants of students or parents above the teachers, Mm -hmm. you just created a toxic environment. Because the school is the teachers. They are the essence. That is your company, if you will. So always, 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 school administrators, I I counsel you, every decision that comes across your desk, every email that comes in, every request, the first question you have to ask yourself is, how does this impact teachers? Because if you get that right, just like you're saying, James, in the the business setting, you get that right, woo, all kinds of good things start happening. When teachers are happy, they're fulfilled, they feel well-supported, they've got paths for development um, and improvement, they get better engaged in the instruction. And when they're highly engaged, students get highly engaged, right? So if teachers are happy, kids get happy. Kids are happy, parents are happy. Parents are happy, yeah, then us school administrators can be happy at that point. <laughs> Well, and you know, it's funny because we've all watched the terrible YouTube videos of school board meetings of teachers publicly resigning because they've been neglected by their school system. And and they're like, you you don't have our back and you're making decisions that are not in the best interest, not even of the students or the teacher. And you see those. And and ultimately what you're seeing is many times and not always, because let's be honest, sometimes people leave because they have a different thing on their shoulder that they're dealing with. Uh, But what you find is a lot of times in these school systems, is this toxic culture that their priorities have gotten all out of whack and, and finding that out. that the organizational structure is set up, this, it sets them up for failure. You're right, and, and right. So again, some of the work that um, I do with organizations and schools is even looking at your organizational structure. So for example, years ago when I was a, uh, I was a high school principal, James, I had 46 direct reports. Yeah. So there's something called span of control theory. And it's this idea of how many people can we effectively manage and support for success. And regardless of the industry, there is some variation based on the industry sector, but, but by, and far large, the the numbers are six to 10. Right. Right. (laughs) But if you've got a building administrator, who's got 40 some direct report there, you've set him up for, or her up for failure. There is no way that I could successfully and meaningfully support 46 people. And, and so we need to look at how do we, how we disperse leadership? How do we empower folks? How do we give greater levels of autonomy and control? How do we allow decisions to get made at the closest level to where it matters? 
that's where you see high levels of trust and effectiveness, frankly, in, in business models and, and education models as well. You know, you said something that as you talk about this kind of idea of span of control, you know, we see that in our own organization. We're always trying to make sure that people have the fewest possible direct reports that we can manage uh, so that they can get as much attention from their leader as possible. And you almost see like, I wonder how much of our hierarchical work culture that we've created, this kind of really tall pyramid, uh, was created even in some ways because of in, at once out of good intent, like we need to not have too many direct reports. And then it just somewhere along the line, it got out of whack and we lost the real reason why we do this. But I think that it's interesting to talk about that is how do we, how do we flatten as much as we can? And sometimes you can't go too flat, but how do you flatten as much as you can uh, without overloading any one individual? And I agree with you 100% getting those decisions as close to the, the front line as possible. They're the ones who are really seeing the real issues, right? They know what the real challenges are. They know what the red flags are. They know when the warning signs are flashing. So we have to instruct and empower them to be able to make those decisions. Uh, Because let's be honest, the person at the top, way too far away to be making that decision. Yeah. And when you look at like board run organizations, you know, like a school setting, but there's also, you know, nonprofits and even corporate, um, what we've found is though, if you have board members who are not deeply relying on either um, a consultant or someone who has the content mastery of what the company is about. So again, I'll use the school as an example, but this works in the corporate setting as well. So if we have no one on the board who has either a skill set or knowledge and involvement in Uh, curriculum methods, instructional methods, assessment methods, learning environment methods, um, you know, pedagogy uh, is the language we would use in in education, then they do not have the ability to talk about what is best for the organization. Now, you know, we may, oh, I want a lawyer on the board. I want a doctor on the board. Yes, great, good. They can bring perspective, but without someone who has the content expertise of what you're trying to accomplish, you will not be able to lead that organization effectively. And, and this happens time and time again. I mean, one of the pieces of trust that falls apart is when a leader does not have the expert knowledge in what the business is about. You can't just take, well, he was a good manager over here. He'll be a good manager here. Well, maybe <laughs> if he or she becomes an expert in what we do. You may be familiar, it was back in the, um, I think it was the mid to late 80s, there was a movement to try to fill some of the school vacancies. You know, we've been in a, uh, we've had a problem with um, both teacher and admin um, shortages for years. It's getting all the press now because it's really, really bad, but it's been bad for years. Sure. One of the um, initiatives that went on was, well, let's attract corporate managers to come be school principals or to come be school superintendents. You know, you know, if they're, excuse me, if they're successful in their corporate setting, they got the managerial skills. It's just about people management, right? Makes sense. And what we, we saw happened was the vast majority of them failed in a very short amount of time, but take a look at the ones who did not fail. What did they do differently? They went back to school 
<laughs> and they get a master's in educational administration or, you know, they, they get a master's in curriculum design. They, they didn't just assume this transfer of their managerial skills. No, they learned the business. And then they become trusted leaders because, you know, they know what they're talking about. It's a key element. And, you know, we've got to make sure that those who have the power also have the knowledge and the expertise. And unfortunately, in so many structures, um, that's not a piece of trust that is protected and insured. And it's where organizations often fall apart. I, I think that, you know, what's interesting to me is that I've, I have, I have held that opinion on some level where, you know, even over one of my software companies, the person I put in charge, I wanted them to have at least a decent level of understanding of all of the departments within that organization so that they could properly lead and have intelligent conversations. You know, I'm not an engineer, but I can speak engineering with the engineers and I know what is capable because I've spent enough time shoulder to shoulder learning engineering as much as to, I'm not going to be able to do the code, but I do understand what's Kate, what we're capable of. And part of me being an effective leader in my company was my ability to learn those different areas of the company uh, so that I could have those conversations and I could challenge assumptions and I could push back and we could have that conversation. And in the end, I don't always make those decisions. I still many times will defer it, but I also know when I'm, when it's safe, like, Hey, take it, like run. I'm, I know. Uh, and so I agree with you. There is, there is a, a great deal of advantage of having leaders who understand the core competencies of all options and portions of the organization that they're leading in. And so extremely powerful stuff. Uh, Dr. Travis, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to give you the last word. If somebody wants to learn more about you, wants to learn more about Trust Ed, how do they find more information about you? Well, the website's always a great place to go. It's just trustedconsulting.org or trustedschool.org. They'll both get you there. Uh, the book is available on Amazon, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. A lot of folks find me there. So it's uh, just, um, you know, put my name in and uh, I'll see you there. <laughs> That's great. We'll make sure that all of these links are in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Travis, thank you so much for joining me on the Leading to Fulfillment my podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, James, for the work you're doing. Appreciate it. I want to thank Dr. Toby Travis for a, such a challenging and encouraging conversation. I trust that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Everything we mentioned, including a full transcript of the show, is available over on our website, and you can access it anytime you want by visiting leadingtofulfillment.com slash 020. That's leadingtofulfillment.com slash 020. You know, the importance of building a culture of trust in your organization can't be overstated. When your team trusts you and trusts one another, incredible things can happen. Each team member is more likely to share innovative ideas, be proactive, collaborate effectively, roll with the punches, or commit to your organizational goals. Unfortunately, trust doesn't always come naturally. Personality differences, unique expectations, negative experiences, and challenging circumstances can all stand in the way of trust. As a leader, it's up to you to foster a culture of trust. How? Well, here's a great place to start. As a leader, do these three things. Take on these three habits. Number one, communicate often what you believe and what you value. 
Number two, follow through on the things that you said you believe and value. Number three, when you fall short, and it is when, be transparent and honest. Admit the failing and commit to doing and being better. No one really wants to follow a perfect leader. They want to follow a leader they can trust. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode. And until then, may your businesses be successful as you lead your teams to fulfillment.